Welcome to Med Podcast, a journey on how to make our everyday life better by exploring video games, art, and technology all around us. Playfulness and mindfulness are finally coming together. I am your host, Damiano Tescaro, marketing specialist by day and a passionate video gamer by night. I have been studying and working in marketing for more than 10 years in startups, agencies and huge multinationals, crafting content, communication and strategy. But ironically, I like to think that many of the lessons I learned, I practiced more in video games than in the classroom. After all, isn't the very nature of games to be engaging, to evoke emotions, to tell a story, effectively and beautifully? Isn't this what good marketing also should be all about? Today we are going to talk about Hades, which is a video game that I think most marketers should play. Why? Well, because it's the perfect place to experience and experiment with user experience. Wait, wait, don't leave, don't leave. What I mean is, this is a great place, it's a great game to test how people feel, what is the effect behind the decisions that we make. And when I talk about decisions, I mean this in the broadest possible way. I'm talking about communication decision, design decisions behind our communication efforts, our marketing efforts, our product efforts. All of these things are perfectly exemplified in this video game. It sounds a bit weird. I know, and you think, how is this possible? How can this be so great? Let me tell you. I have a couple of ideas that I think you will like. First and foremost, what is Hades? Hades is a roguelike action role-playing video game. What this basically means, it's a bit of a nerdy term for a game that has an action component, so combat in this case, and it's roguelike in the sense that you have to progress through different rooms and each room is randomly generated. You need to defeat some bosses and at the end of the game, when you defeat the final boss, rinse and repeat. You go back to the beginning, you power up your weapons and your abilities and off you go again to defeat even more enemies, gather more resources, power up your weapons and so on. The very important thing to remember, in a game like Hades, the story progresses mostly when you lose. Let me repeat, the story progresses mostly when you lose. This is incredible. Think about this. Most games try to lead you to going forward and winning the game in the end, defeating the final boss, and then you know the end of the game. Hades is completely different. They switch this sort of pattern on its head and they actually tell you the least enjoyable moment in the game when you die, it's the moment the story progresses. And it first of all starts breaking completely our expectations. And this is what Mad Podcast is all about. It's breaking expectations. It's thinking in a different way on how can we learn from these good examples of design, of art sometimes, of communication and how can we apply them in real-world scenarios, maybe in business scenarios. This is a great example. Hades is a great example. Let's look at what makes it great, in my opinion. Hades is a game that makes you feel a lot of things. It's a game that will trigger you in some way or another. It could be happiness, joy, delight, or it can be anger, frustration, and annoyance, maybe even. The thing is, 
we as communicators, as marketers, as people who want to learn from this game, it's important to feel this, to pay attention. What makes us feel this way? Why do we feel this way? And sometimes what decision is behind this feeling? Because in Hades, most of the things that happen have been very carefully designed to trigger that particular feeling. And deliberate attention and sharpness that Supergiant Games, the developer of the game, uses to trigger these feelings, these states of mind, it's something that we all can learn from, especially when it comes to communication. The other aspect that I find very important and that we can take away from the game it's the importance of the compound effect. Many, many, many small good choices done one after the other create an overwhelming feeling of positivity, of enjoyment. Hades is fantastic in that sense because it brings together many, many small good things done right. The story, the way progress, the rhythm of the story is incredible. The way the combat feels, the customization options, the soundtrack, the art style, the voice acting, all of these little things put together make the whole experience feel really fantastic, wholesome. It's just a really, really good game. And translating this into our business situation where we can make also a lot of very small things done well. And if you play this game, you will see the result of how these right choices made often, small choices, make you feel. And think, how can I make my customers feel the same? I think this is a very good rule of thumb in general for communication. Last but not least, one of my mantras, design, it's not about the graphics. Or not only. Design choices in this game are superb. And there is no end to the praise that I could sing to this game. Especially because not only the graphics is beautiful, but the design choice around what can you do and what you cannot do in this game. It's very deliberate, it's very specific, and everything has a reason. Understanding why certain choices, in terms of design of the experience, have been made is a critical step to understand why this game is so good, why the experience is so good. When do we create moments of interaction that give that feeling to customers, users, visitors, friends? These are very important aspects that Hades allows us to practice beautifully. Story time. I was wrapping up my um, 100th run of Hades because again, you need to go through this room and win the boss many, many times to make the story progress. I was at my 100 plus time, I think. What happened is that I was completely absorbed in the rhythm of the game, you know? It was almost a mantra. It kept repeating itself in a very interesting way and there was an array of new things for me to try that actually kept me going back and back and back and keep trying and trying and trying. What happened though is that after a while, I kind of forgot why I was doing that. I was just doing this because I was immersed in the experience. I was just having a really good time. So imagine that randomly, one time I got to the end boss, not in a really good state if I'm honest with you, like a bit beaten up, and something changes. A huge surprise happens, something unprecedented. And from that moment on, the game has completely changed for me. It's like playing a completely new game. And you may say, well, what happened? I cannot tell you because I don't want to spoil the game if you play the game. You should. But what I can tell you is that the only thing that changed is the story. 
You heard it right. It's not because I got a new weapon. It's not because I got a new power. It's not because there were new areas to explore. No, no, no. Everything was exactly the same. The story was different. Something happened in the story that flipped it on its head. And from that moment on, the reason why I was playing the game, my immersion in the game with the character felt completely different. I felt like I, I was there with him in a new way. And so the game itself, the reason why I kept grinding, grinding is the technical term for going through the, the levels and gathering resources almost compulsive way. The reason why I was grinding was different. This motivation was not just the protagonist's motivation to do it. It was my own. Achieving this level of immersion, it's something incredible. And this game does it beautifully. This is very important and it made me want to record this episode about this game precisely because of that. My surprise, the sense of surprise in breaking the pattern was huge. The memory that was created for me, now I will always remember this game for that moment. Not for the weapons, not for the customization things that every other game can do. No, no, no. It's for this story moment. Third is the fact that this is not a gameplay change. This is a motivational change. It's a context change. This reframing has powerful effects on everything else around it. It's kind of an underlying layer that is really powerful. And if we tap this layer, like the game designers did in Hades, if we tap this layer in our communication, we can as well frame our communication differently, talk to our customers in a different way. Now, if I would look at the reasons why Hades is so good, I would mostly say because it plays very well with our foreground and background attention. This is something that is critical for everything we do in life. There are things that call for our attention actively. So you need to take care of the child because otherwise it's going to kill himself with putting the fingers inside the plug on the wall. And things that don't require our attention. We leave the telly open just to hear voices in the living room while we are cooking, for example, even if we're not really listening. Or if you're driving. Driving is the ultimate background process. We don't really think after a while, how to drive. We just know how to do it, it's automatic. This is a powerful mechanic that happens in the brain and it's something that we as communicators, as marketers, it's something that is fundamental to understand how people really consume. The whole point is people's attention is limited and playing with foreground and background attention, it's a very important skill to hone. This is why we're here. This is why we do the Mad Podcast. And this is why we use video game to practice. Because Hades is a game that lets you seriously practice and reflect over the foreground and the background elements of design choices. I'll give you three examples that for me are extremely powerful in this game that are very applicable also in real life. The first one, the very clever use of repetition. Repetition is a very important part because it's the background process of our mind. When we repeat something over and over and over, like driving, it just goes in the back of our mind, takes a lot less energy, becomes more automatic. It's something we don't really pay attention to. Something can be repetitive and still be enjoyable or interesting. Something can be repetitive and boring. So being careful on how to make something repetitive and interesting is very important. Hades does this very well. These patterns create a sense of familiarity. 
So it's not just kind of blind memory. It's more the sense of I'm familiar with something and just the fact that I'm familiar with it makes me feel more relaxed, makes me feel that I can do this or lowers my stress level because there is an, some sort of comfort in this familiarity. This is very important in a game like Hades because as we said, the different rooms that you have to fight through are randomly generated, but they're still based on common patterns. So you're always able to recognize more or less the rooms, the traps that you're going to find very intuitively. And this allows you to spend less attention on the room itself and more attention on the combat, which is the most fun part. The other part that goes with repetition, of course, is the muscle memory. This is something that for games like this is essential, learning the combos to maximize your damage per second so you can clear the room faster. is an essential component for, well, in general, the gaming community, but specifically for the speedrunning community. So this allows you to maximize your efficiency and putting this element in the back of your mind, that where it takes less energy, where it allows you then to focus more on what is actually interesting. Second, variation by design. When we talk about variation, it's very easy to think of millions and millions of options. And it's very easy, I think, to feel overwhelmed by all of these options. How do you choose what is meaningful, what is not? Sometimes, especially in games, gamers really love to optimize the hell out of stuff. So in most games that have like millions of options, it's very easy to just, you know, end up with one or two best options because they're just the most effective. Part of the beauty, I think, in how Hades manages variation is that it's built into the system of the game by design. It's not just an afterthought to add complexity. It's an integral aspect on how the game can be played. And there are some nudges during the game that actually ask you to try all the variations. For example, the different weapons, the different skills, and not because you kind of have to, but because it's better if you do. There is a very gentle nudging system that promotes this variation. And so we have this double edge, right? On one side, we have the variation of, again, the rooms that are familiar, but always a bit different. And on the other side, we have the variation of our powers, our skills, our weapons. Basically, our playstyle changes. And that is really the fun part of the game, where we spend time choosing between this or that option. And as players, I think one of the most fulfilling moments is when we actually realize that this allows for a lot of replayability without being boring. So you see how the repetition and the variation are almost the, the two sides of the same coin, and they have to be crafted in a way that they're balanced. So striking this balance, when we do communication also for our business reasons, our professional reasons, how do we make this happen properly? How do we maintain a balance that doesn't feel overwhelming, but at the same time is not boring? Again, I think playing Hades is a very good testing ground to experience this in the first place. Last but not least, customization. This is, I think, a part that derives from the variation and also from the repetition. It's sort of like the child of these two together. And it's how Hades makes these choices meaningful, which means removing choices that are not particularly interesting, which would just be clutter, basically, and only leaving the choices that are meaningful for your playstyle, that make it more fun, more interesting. Why is this important? Because what I found, and this is just an example, but there are some weapons in the game that I was not particularly interested in, like the bow or the railgun. 
it's like, nah, whatever. What happened though is that I wanted to get the achievements related to these weapons, so I had to use them. And what happened is that as I was using them and picking up the power-ups during the game, I realized that I could drastically change the way this weapon feel in the game. And this creates a completely new level. Suddenly, the weapons that I thought were boring, they're not. Actually, some of them became some of my favorite. So this element of slowly building surprise, remember we were talking before about doing many things right constantly, compounding the positive effect. This built inside of me the trust. I think it's really trust towards the game, knowing that everything that I'm offered is meaningful in one way or another and is always worth trying. This avoids that kind of dreadful effect of, oh my god, I don't want to do this, or this is boring. And it creates instead uh, an attitude of curiosity, of positive curiosity, where you actually want to try, you want to explore, because maybe it's going to be interesting, who knows? So this is super important, and I think, again, the slight compounding effect of all of these choices is something that has to be felt. Playing Hades is a very good way to feel, I think, in that way. And it's something that I really want to take away in my job as well when it comes to offering this type of communication, this type of experience to customers. Because, again, trust is built slowly, but it has a very high interest rate. If we think to bring all of these things together, how will we see this in real life? I have a couple of things that came to mind. The first one, for example, regarding how the surprise effect, I guess, <laughs> and the, the variation. It's a YouTube channel called Lizichi. I apologize for my terrible Chinese, but this is the website of a Chinese lady that owns a farm and she runs the farm and she plants different types of vegetables and plants and then she harvests them, she cooks them, she makes these incredibly poetic videos where she tells you the story of the whole cycle of the plants that she uses for a few recipes and then she shares them with her grandmother in this absolutely poetic environment. Little did I know, that she actually has a web shop where she sells literally everything that she cooks. So not only she is an amazing content creator, she has like, I don't know, 24 million subscribers. It's incredible. The amount of engagement that she gets on social is fantastic. Also, she's a fantastic businesswoman because she has created, in my mind, the best content strategy I've ever seen. In her videos, not even once you see a brand, a logo, uh, a label of any sort, there is very rarely words, to be honest with you. It's mostly just sounds and she's just working, you know. She's working the field, she's preparing the food, she's uh, helping her grandmother, She she's building clay ovens, you know. And there is something incredible there. Again, the compounding effect of building this sort of trust, this relationship with this content makes it so when I found out that she had a shop, I didn't feel betrayed like, oh, she's trying to upsell me her chili marmalade jams. I was genuinely interested. I was captivated. And to be honest, quite curious to try them because I felt like I've been on a journey with her. I've seen everything that she does to achieve this in these romanticized ways, of course. But it felt like there was already a relationship, a trust, a rapport with her. And therefore, her choice to make this business decision, it only felt natural and absolutely great. Another example when it comes to customization is the Apple Watch Studio. If you go on the Apple website and you go to buy an Apple Watch, there is a very big banner that tells you, Apple Watch Studio, create your own Apple Watch. And this is a page that comes before the price. It's shown to you. 
and you can choose, you know, the size, the color of the watch, and then you can try all the models of armbands and see how they look like. And you're probably gonna spend at least 10-15 minutes here because it's just fun to try all the different color combinations. It's actually proven psychologically that the more we customize, the more we interact with an object, the more we feel it belongs to us. Especially if we make the color choices, for example, it already feels more personal. Because what happens is then after you go through all of this customization and you're presented with the price, which, spoiler alert, is not cheap. But because your mind has already internalized the fact that now this is your Apple Watch because you spent the past 25 minutes customizing it, what you're going to do? Suddenly 500 euros? It doesn't feel like a lot, right? Super clever trick. An example on how customization in the right places reinforces a feeling of loyalty and a feeling of trust. Another example that I think is very interesting when it comes to variation and working between foreground and background elements. Think of apps like Uber or Airbnb or the Google homepage. Think of how they changed through times. They got simpler and simpler and simpler. They've actually been removing most of the items from their web pages or their apps. Why? Because they want to make the best use of the foreground attention that we give them. They want to maximize the effectiveness and the return of investment on, on the attention that we put there. So what they do is a conscious design choice of which elements belong to the background. So they have to be more automatic and almost kind of muscle memory to take less energy and maximize the foreground elements to be enjoyable, delightful, useful. I think the best example is really the, the Uber page when you book an Uber and you're just waiting for it. And it shows you the map and it shows you who's going to pick you up and the car and the plate number. All of these things are designed to build the confidence, make you feel like I need to get somewhere quick. Here's the information that makes me feel confident that I will find the driver as soon as he arrives, which I think is a fantastic example of playing with the foreground and the background attention. Last example that I find incredibly interesting is the element of the stories. Now they are on every application possible imaginable. They are, they started on Snapchat, then on TikTok, Instagram uh, has them, Twitter now introduced them, LinkedIn include them, Facebook, WhatsApp. I think it's interesting because a story fundamentally comes as a response, I think, to the way Instagram has been changing. Instagram has been super popular, of course, in the past years. And the amount of influencers and promotional advertisement that we see on Instagram on a day-by-day -day basis, this rush for perfection and super edited and super crafted and shiny content all the time. It is so easy on Instagram to only follow amazing content, right? But what happens? Well, the effect is that when then you and I want to post on Instagram, we don't really have what it takes to, you know, be at that level. We are flooded every single day with this amazing content. And then are you really going to post your selfie with like a crappy camera? Of course not, because it's, it's kind of shameful. Deep inside, you know that it's not good enough. And people are going to compare that with the rest of the shiny, amazing things on Instagram. So what is the response to this? The response is Snapchat. And then the response was TikTok. The response to over-edited and super shiny content is the hyper-realistic amaterial content, the quintessential unedited raw footage that simply focuses on the content. You dance, you dance. You make jokes, you make jokes. You do something silly, you do something silly. It's quick, it's meant to be spontaneous, it's meant to be disposable, but at the same time it's also meant to be true. 
Nobody expects these stories to be high quality. And uh, they rode the wave in response to the Instagram effect very successfully to the extent where stories now are in every app. So we have now this choice that if you want the polished glossy content that's in your newsfeed, if you want the more improvised, true-to-life content, well, stories are there for you. So I hope this was helpful. I think that Hades is uh, a game that has so much, so much that we can practice on. And I hope you will, if you didn't play it already, maybe we'll give it a try. Or there may be some parts of this podcast were useful. If you want to continue the conversation, I would love to, to hear from you. What do you think? If you enjoy the game or if you find some of these elements to be present in other games, maybe that I should play. And with this, as usual, I wish you a lovely, lovely day.